Welcome to Tipping Points, the podcast that reveals moments in people's lives that change everything. My name is Luke Edelston, and each week I interview fascinating people with extraordinary stories to find their tipping points. Gabby Ionello is the host of The Corporate Quitter, a podcast where entrepreneurs and side hustlers share their stories and provide listeners with actionable steps to help them achieve their own goals. Right now, she's helping clients one-to-one to develop an exit strategy so they can develop a more purposeful and fulfilled life. She progressed rapidly through the corporate world, but she wanted to make more of an impact in the world, so she quit. Uh, I know she's a kindred spirit, so we'll have a great chat today. Gabby, welcome to the show. Hey, Luke. Thanks so much for having me on. My pleasure. And I thought we'd start with something you just mentioned to me, which was about your university, because where you are now is quite different to where you were then. So you went into university and you were initially studying to be a teacher. What, What was the, why did you choose to be a teacher at that point? I, just like every other 18 year old, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And so it came to a point where like my parents uh, were kind of like, you need to choose something like you're good with kids. You like teaching people. Like it just seems like a great setting for you. Plus you get like a pension and, and summers off. So I said, you know what? Okay, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, you know, see what it's about. And if, you know, it's something that I don't like at the end of the four years, when I get my degree, I can always pivot. And that's ended, exactly what ended up happening. Oh, right. So you got to the end of it and pivoted. And so then you, you pivoted. What? So you started doing uh, social media stuff or was it before that you, you were more the executive assist, assistants and all of that? Where did you go from there? I did a ton of things. So it's really <laughs> funny. I My transition into the corporate world was actually being a nanny. So once I graduated from university, got my degree, I worked as a nanny for a year and then went into real estate after that was in ad tech. And then was at a hedge fund, like did marketing, like was all over the place in so many different industries, just kind of building up my, my skill sets, my transferable skills, um, figuring out what I wanted to do until I reached like the, the tipping point, as you will, where I was like, okay, I'm trying to, I'm basically searching from job to job, company to company um, for something that's not existent in what it is I'm looking for in a nine to five. Like it's something that I have to create for myself in my own world. And so that's why I ended up quitting. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's so different going to be a nanny to being in real estate. Were there any common themes or was it just try something different each time? I mean, I would say the running theme was I like to be the glue, as they call it. Wherever I went, I tried to find the problem or when a problem arose, I was like, okay, how can I fix this? Like, is it finding two people who don't communicate in different departments to then come up with a common, you know, some sort of solution so that both of them have less headaches and things work more efficiently. And so that happened in literally every job I had, especially being an assistant, because I was the center of everything, making sure people had things on their calendars, things got paid, people were were where they were supposed to be, all of that. But I, and I think that's why entrepreneurship is the right fit for me too, because as an entrepreneur, you have to be a problem solver. If you're not solving someone's problem, you have no business running your own show. That's the whole reason why people get into it. Even if it's simple, like being a plumber, you're still solving the issue of someone having issues with the pipes in their house or installing something that's outside of their skill set. So yeah, I would say being the glue, being the, the the problem solver was the theme throughout it all. And then I realized, okay, I need to I need to pivot and make this into something profitable. I just don't know what it was yet at the time. Mm, yeah. And you mentioned as well earlier about transferable skills and developing those. Was that a conscious thing that you were going for each of those jobs going, okay, now I can see I'm deficient in this or I want to build this. Therefore, I'm going to, I don't know, move in a certain direction with that within the job or the next job. Or again, was that just picking it up as you go through experience? I think it was a little bit of both. So the a large part of the reason why I job hopped really aggressively in my 20s was mostly for pay, because as most people know, when you stay at the same company year after year, you're really not guaranteed that much of a pay jump, maybe like 3%, 5%. It's not that much. But if you job hop, I mean, there was one job, I think I went, it was like $25,000 more annually. And it wasn't really like, you know, I, I, I thought I was, I thought I was getting away with murder. Like I was like, I don't know why they're paying me this much, but like they want to, so cool. But yeah, so the job hopping was mostly because of the money, but I also wanted to learn more. I wanted to be challenged. And so my job hopping across different industries, it's natural that 
challenges will arrive because I've never been in that industry before. So if I went as to, to be from a teacher and a nanny, which is right about children and educating and like guiding them and, and all of that, providing even in a sense, like guidance, right? You're watching over them to then doing real estate, which is about solving the problem of like a space issue. I had to learn sales skills. I had to learn people skills. I had to learn about Microsoft suite. I had to learn about using the MLS system, which is like a database of finding apartments or, or, you know, whatever it is, houses for people. So naturally, because I was in a different role, a different job, a different industry, I had to learn a ton of skills, but I actively knew going into it. Okay. What are the things that I can take from this? And I would write it down on paper. Like what are the things that I'm learning while I'm doing this, that I can use in the real world for my own business in the future? I didn't know again, what I was going to be doing, but I knew something would come out of it. And, and, you know, there's a reason for me being where I'm supposed to be. Cause I don't know about you, but whenever I do reflecting on like my life, I look through past journals or whatever, like, it's very hilarious and great that things fall into place as they should, because that job, that opportunity before taught you the skills necessary for you to be, you know, excellent in the job or, or opportunity in the next place, the next chapter of your life. Mm, yeah. I think there's in each job, or part of your life, there's something different that you can learn from it. And yeah. as you've said, all of those different jobs are extremely different. And yes, I agree. If you're going to make a reasonable salary nowadays, it is often the way that you have to move jump, uh, move jobs, move companies. And it's sort of sad in a way. I think um, I probably won't get my high horse too much about our generation struggling a bit more financially. But you know, I think that is certainly the case. And I think that drives behaviors like moving jobs quite a lot because we... Oh, you yeah, know, yeah. you want to you have, you know, the level of financial comfort and things that, and, you know, prosperity and everything else that, you, you know, and I've done the same, you know, I've moved jobs quite a few times as well. And uh, yeah, it's interesting that you've managed to go from each one and it's, you know, it's pretty rapid, you know, each year pretty much changing each time. And uh, you mentioned getting in your bio here to hitting a six figure salary and in a dreamy brownstone apartment in the Upper West Side. And I suppose when you get to that point, you've got a lot of tick boxes in terms of yep. I've got that salary, I've got that place I'm living in. You've probably got friends, you know, colleagues, all this stuff. And what it, did it feel like there was something missing, or, or what Definitely. was what shifted there because you just changed it all? Yeah. So I, it actually happened during COVID that I like had the moment of like, okay, this is not what it was chalked out to be. So I pre-COVID, I had gotten promoted in my company. So I went from being an executive assistant, which is like bottom of the barrel, so to speak. I was still making a ton of money and I knew I was making impact. But from a title perspective at a hedge fund, you're like a nobody in a sense. So I got from working really hard, working with different departments, I got promoted internally to being in marketing and their real estate sector, which is like a big deal. Everybody wanted it and I just happened to get it, which was amazing. Um, and then because of that, I also was able to get my apartment, which I was like saving up for. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I'd been pinning on Pinterest for years doing vision boards of like a brownstone that I really wanted. So I know I got it and the excitement kind of wore off after a couple of months. And as I was working through this job, I realized very, very quickly that um, money's cool, but the amount of stress I was having, the anxiety, I couldn't fall asleep. I was upset in the morning physically because I had to turn my computer on to do this job. Like I was having issues with roaches, with neighbors in my apartment. The My, my apartment was like $2,000 a month, not including ex like water, utilities, shopping. I mean, in Manhattan, everything's expensive. So food that was like maybe $200 at my last place per month was now $400 and change. And so like, I think just seeing the whole picture of like, okay, my parents and everyone around me is extremely proud of what I've created. And for a while I was, but if I'm quote unquote, this successful, why do I feel this miserable? Like, why is this so stressful? Why am I not proud personally about all these accomplishments? And I just feel like I want to throw it away because that's how much it doesn't align with who I am as a person. Mm. And how did you know what it was that was you as a person? Um, That's a hard, I mean, it's not such a, it's not a hard question, but I think it took me a year to really like the tipping point, as you as you say, to really make um, a decision about leaving it all behind because I had just gotten it all. And I said, OK, maybe it's just circumstance. Maybe I just need to like, as most things, whenever you start something new, it's always hard, right? Always mm -hmm. hard. New job, new relationship. Like it's, those things that come up, they're not easy for a reason. 
And so I gave myself a year of like, let me try different strategies to see if maybe it's an internal thing. Like maybe I have terrible mindset. Maybe I'm not connecting with people in a way that's authentic. Maybe I need to eat better and I'm not treating my body well. Like I I went through all those layers of like, could it be anything but the circumstance I'm in? And so, you know, the, the really thing that rocked my boat was around Christmas time when we were off for a couple of weeks, I was in such distress because I had to go back to work that I ended up getting a foot injury and found that I was more grateful to be injured than to be going back to the job, which is right messed up. Like I shouldn't be thinking like that, but then that was the huge thing of like, okay, I don't, this is, it's not rational for me to leave my apartment and quit my job with that plan. But like, if I continue being here, I'm going to be physically and mentally just like so ill. I I can't live like this. It's not worth it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was once in a job. Uh, I won't mention the name of the job or anything, but it, I'd got to a point we'd had a really great year, especially towards the end of the year, because we had uh, multiple people from different businesses all in this one office. So it was like a, know, like a war room or whatever, where each day you were having sort of daily stand-ups and it was actually quite motivational the, the leader was really great and uh, he gave me quite a bit of responsibility as well and I was like really enjoying that um and yeah I, I don't know it was so like some sense of camaraderie and I really like collaboration and everything there and it was busy and fairly high stress and in that kind of environment I'm pretty happy and I had enough control to be able to make a difference um, but then after that it was quite a big shock so hit December and then it the bids finished it goes in you have to wait for like six months for the people to decide who they're after. So I might give you a clue of like what sort of industry it is because it's slow. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so then I was basically waiting for six months and I was doing some work, but it was just not that interesting, not working with other people. And I was really, really low, really depressed, just had no energy to just even just go up and talk to people and do the basic stuff, like asking people to do things or asking for a bit of help. I just couldn't do it. And you know, I had the days where you wake up and you you just dread it a lot. And yeah. you can viscerally feel like, I just don't want to do this. And you know, there'd be the odd, I think I had one day where I didn't go in because you know I was sick, inverted commas, not, not actually sick. And I've never done that before, never done it since. But you know, when you have stuff like that, it's a really good sign that you're really not happy with what you're doing. And uh, yeah. so I was around 25, um, had a kind of quarter life crisis as I call it, it's a bit of a joke, but it's true as well, I wasn't happy. And uh, then I, that was when I went traveling and everything and got a job and so on and uh, went around the world and found a bit more out about myself. So it's well worth doing. But there's there's often moments where, you know, you're sort of trying to push towards that thing. And, you know, I had a good good role title. I had a good salary and got a good bonus over that period because I'd done well. And But none of that was enough, really. It was just obvious I needed to leave. Yeah. But it's funny, though, because, like, it's not even about the money. It's not even about the title. It's about... Like I'm finding it's more about impact. It's about connection. It's about like the things that make us human, that makes us feel fulfilled and happy in life. And that's like, which is funny because it's like the opposite of what we've been conditioned to think is like success. Like me getting eight hours of sleep and waking up happy is a hell of a lot more important to me than making six figures now. I mean, I still write everyone wants money. You got to pay your bills and whatever, but it's, isn't it funny that that's how it ends up working out? It's like, fulfilled like happy like those are the important things in life yeah i was talking to a friend earlier about this as well and it is mostly conditioning because you see there's certain jobs as i was saying to her um that when you hear that they are that thing like a nurse or a doctor or you don't think all oh, right so there'll be a you know next surgeon level or whatever maybe in america it's a bit different but here you've got that sort of job it's like oh good job end of story it's not like mm-hmm. oh, i'm working up the ladder or anything but there's other jobs where it feels like there's that sense of, uh, especially finance from the sounds of it, from what I've heard, it's very competitive and everyone's just trying to move up, move up. And uh, and that's, I suppose, culturally expected. And uh, yep. it's just, that's difficult in itself because you pick up a lot of those things, even if it doesn't really ch- chime with you, even if it's not fully real for you, you sort of end up picking it up because that's what everyone else is doing. And it, yep. you know, it can take talking to somebody else who's got a similar perspective or has done it themselves to actually then go, oh no, actually this, is, this isn't this is what everybody feels like in this situation. Some people love it, you know, other people like myself just aren't happy with this, so I need to make a change. And that's, that's kind of what you're helping people to do now as well. So how do you help people make a sort of nine to five exit strategy and help them, I guess, well, 
do they have they already decided to leave are they talking to you because they're sort of interested in thinking about it like what does that kind of look like and how do you approach that I think most people they come with the perspective of like I want to leave but I don't know how to and I'm scared and I don't have the intention of doing it anytime soon because of that fear so the first part is we try to get to the nitty-gritty of like well why do you want to leave in the first place because right when it comes down to disliking something what it really is is that there's something about it that doesn't align with your values or your preferences. And that's why you feel the dissatisfaction. Cause right. If we knew what the issue was, if you, let's say you felt dissatisfaction being in your office because you thrive in nature, like you would just find a job that would allow you to work outside. You know, maybe that's, maybe that's the case. It's as simple as that, mm-hmm. but most, for most people, it's not as simple as that. So basically, yeah, we just go through like what their values are, what their preferences are in terms of the workspace. And then we start to piece together, okay, of that, you know, what are the things you enjoy doing? What are your skills and stuff like that? Because another thing, I don't know about you, but for a really long time, I I knew it was skilled at a lot of things, but for me, I felt like I couldn't apply it in the real world. Like it was more of something that I can just only apply at a corporate job or like a, anything that, you know, that didn't rely on me. And I realized very, very quickly that what I think is basic, what I think is easy is not the case for a lot of people. And so, you know, and you don't have to be this amazing person who can solve all the problems. It's just like one or two things that you can use to help people who aren't skilled in that. So that could be like Excel stuff, or it could be, you know, whatever it is. So for the people I talk to, we really break out. I literally make them print out three copies of their resume. And I do a couple different exercises where it's like, okay, go through your resume and pick out all the different skills you learned at each job that you did. Like it could be really granular or it could be specific to the job and see where you've expanded on them or like maybe what you're, if you're better at it than other people, like whatever it is. And then the next part is like, okay, of those jobs and the skill sets going next to each other, which parts of your life were you the most happy? Like, cause right. Cause you could have a job that maybe you are making more money, but you weren't that happy. And so you can, you can very easily find the pieces that are working. Like, okay, these are the skills. These are the challenges. This is when I was the most happy. Okay. Let's take those two components and now come up with a third resume and find out, you know, which of those jobs or those times in your life, um, made you feel like you were making the most impact on people. And so when you really see those, that full picture, you can kind of pick apart and start structuring together what your ideal job or life would look like. And then based on that, we kind of come up with not a full exit strategy because I understand that's something that takes time and no one's going to just quit tomorrow. But again, it's, it's, it's helping them think in a different perspective, coming up with a different mindset around what we think is acceptable and, and profitable, because I don't know about you, but it has taken me so much like reverse conditioning just to get over the hunch of like, you can make money doing other things than sitting at a desk. Like, it, honestly, and I'm still working on that. Mm, yeah, I think that's an ongoing thing for everyone. And it yeah. sounds quite positive as well, because looking at skills, what makes you happy and what has most impact, they're all positive things about yourself that, I mean, we generally don't look for those if you're anything like a, me, well, anyway. You know, it's you're looking at what you're not as good at and you're always looking at other people around you with... You know, maybe they've got a more senior role title or something, and therefore you put them higher up and you think, oh, they're better than me. But there is going to be something that you're particularly good at. Like you mentioned, you're the glue, or you were the glue yep. in different organizations and things. And you've you found the problems and you solved them. And uh, this reminds me as well, because I made this note earlier. There's a, I don't know how you say it exactly. It's a Japanese concept called Ikigai. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. that one. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So it's almost exactly what you've been talking about about so what you're good at so they're your skills what you love so what makes you happy what the world needs as well impact i suppose and then also the fourth part of that is what you can get paid for in a i guess yeah. in a reasonable way because there's lots of things that everybody wants to do like you know i might be really good at going on roller coasters but no one's going to pay me to do that i mean maybe so, they could yeah. but that's like the, the wild <laughs> thing too is no but really like when you think about people who do certain things like you don't have to do marketing affiliations you don't have to do drop shipping like you don't have to do these things that have been like so pushed in social media to do i mean you could if you wanted to sell books on amazon there are people who make a ton of money doing that they just find books at a thrift store and they resell them on amazon or ebay like it doesn't have to be this complex thing where you're like Mm. you know doing this like almost like the work of nelson mandela where you're solving world hunger but think about it if let's say you did make a lifestyle out of reselling books 
on Amazon, okay, that that might be able to you know help you from a financial perspective. But then, what other component can maybe come in the form of impact? Well, people are being educated because you're providing them the books. But let's say, okay, let's take it a step further. Do on the side volunteer work, so you have both things taken care of. Like you're giving back to your community, you're helping people in that way, but you're also like making money and doing something that you have flexibility in your day to day because all you're doing is sending books out to the Amazon sellers, like. There are ways to do things that are semi like lucrative or doesn't seem like it's like feasible, but it, mm. I feel like you can make money literally from anything these days, even maybe riding roller coasters and you giving reviews. Like, I feel like that's what YouTube has come about too. People do reviews on restaurants and stuff and like that they make a killing. How you make, you're getting paid by YouTube and all you're doing is eating food. Like, I want to do that. <laughs> that would be really <laughs> fat, but I would do that. <laughs> yeah, I think I've seen the guy you're talking about. This is American guy who just eats all the burgers and stuff, and he's in his car. I mean, just... <laughs> but the thing is, there's you're saying one person. There's like a whole. I mean, so many people do True. it. So many people do it, right? Like they talk about the market being oversaturated, and I frankly, I think it's BS. There, it's mm. BS, really. Yeah, and there's definitely growing markets as well. So people wanting to learn, be coached, all that kind of thing is growing a lot. And um, we've talked about having, you know, there's a lot of insta shamans or whatever you know people that are saying they're really good at something but they're not you know and there's a lot of bs to go through and sift through but at the same time there's a real demand for a lot of online stuff i think the pandemic shifted a lot of things especially in countries that were sort of hard hit by it and had to stay at home people have adapted and gone okay i don't need to go to university now now i can learn all these skills at home maybe from a few really successful people that do that rather than a course that's free as long. Maybe I can learn that in a month if I do it intensively, you know. So there's mm-hmm. there's different ways to sort of look at that. And I think there's also, as you mentioned, you sort of hinted at it there. It's like, you know, you can meet one need being financial by doing something that's maybe not that sexy or exciting, but at the same time realizing that that's not filling your need for maybe human interaction because, I mean, this online stuff, you know, that's partly what's missing there. And so say if I'm doing this podcast, I get really stimulating conversations that inspire me and hopefully other people. But what I don't get on the other end of it is that feedback from the audience necessarily. You know, you get the odd message here and there, but it's not like a torrent. I mean, if I put it on YouTube, I'll probably get lots of, uh, you know, a bit more commentary and stuff like that or, or whatever. But um, And so for me, I need to have a bit more on this side or, you know, in, in my day job or in, you know, the, the side hustle as well where you know, you get that direct feedback or, you know, you get that human interaction, you get the real deepness as well in person. And uh, so that for me, I know is something I, I need. And it could be, you know, if you're feeling lonely and stuff, you, you sort of need to bring in, I think, that person to person interaction if you can, you know, obviously the world's a bit strange at the moment. But yeah, yeah uh, I mean, you're you're doing sort of this coaching. I imagine a fair amount of it might be online as well. Uh, are there yeah, any things that you kind of, yeah, yeah. And I suppose that, I guess that feels quite fulfilling, rewarding. You can see the results as well. Are there any other things you do in person? You might just have great friends and family around you anyway, but that sort of fills you up from a personal, interpersonal perspective in person. How do you get that personally? So I am very close to my family. So we have like meals together, things like that. So um, that aspect is fulfilled from a physical perspective, like personally being with someone. But I don't know about you, but I know of other people too who like, I can very easily have my like social meter, like way too full. And then I'm like, okay, like I need to be alone for a little bit. So in this case, doing stuff, like having the personal interaction is great, but I love also doing things online because I get to physically be present. I mean, digitally be present with you in zoom, but I can like turn off the the screen after and like have time to myself, but I will actually challenge you. Cause I know you before mentioned that like social from social perspective, like social media and and things like that email, there's no personal connection, but I have to say from now quitting my job and taking to social media to try to build up a business. When you come from a perspective of value and you actually engage with people in a way that's authentic versus mass commenting and and spam liking and all this BS, like there's a, I have connected with so many amazing people that I'm still in contact with. And I talk to all the time over social media who now at this point I consider like confidants, like I actually talked about business things and all, and you know, we talk about meeting up in the future in person and stuff that I never thought would be possible if I didn't take it from a place of value and actually engaging with people in a way that's authentic. Like, but my, the, the, the original side of me is like, oh, like social media is BS. It's all like fake. You know, I don't really care about this. It's not me. I don't want to put my business through here. 
but when you when I shifted the mindset to the mindset basically to think about entrepreneurship as like engagement and providing value and like all of that, that's when I started to find people who are more aligned and like my even practices as a consumer has changed because we are if you're you're if you're acting certain a certain way, you are just mirroring the way that your customers are acting. So if you're mad that they're not responding to you or that they're not interacting with you in a way that makes sense. It's because probably you're doing the same exact thing. So same thing for podcast stuff. Like if I'm not getting response about podcasts being good or or whatever it is, I'll reach out to people and say, give them feedback on certain things. And you know what? Most of the time they reciprocate and they say, hey, I love what you're doing. I just felt really shy because I didn't want to reach out to you. And I'm like, wow. Mm. Oh my God. All it was was one conversation. So that's the beauty of social media. But yes, there's the side that like sucks and people are like fake and all that. But I feel like as a globe, we're now transitioning to like more authenticity in business and, and micro influencing versus being these people who are like full of it, who think they're hot shit, basically. Yeah, uh, it's a good point, actually. And maybe it's laziness, maybe it's lack of time, maybe it's different priorities as well. But I, I haven't really been commenting on other people's stuff. I do with like my really close mates. It's a bit banter. But, and of course, if you message them, you usually get response, like, unless they're yeah. really busy or, or whatever. But no, I think that's a really good point, actually. Um, so the the people that you've been meeting online uh, in different ways, I, I know we've talked about one of my previous guests as well. Who you know you uh, you know he you talked to him and had a really good conversation. Yeah, he kept in kept in oh contact. My God. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Um, this is might sound like a really basic and stupid question, but how do you continue that? So you've had that great conversation with somebody, and this this applies in person as well, right? You know, any social mm-hmm. interaction. I would say I'm quite good at making a good impression having a great conversation hopefully you feel that way now and you know and and then i let it go i yeah i feel I awkward making the next step <laughs> well you say that but it doesn't sound like that's true because you've built I mean, these connections as well <laughs> yeah you know what the, the best part about social media is that when people post images videos they post stories like they're already giving you a taste of like something to talk about. Right. So if let's say if we're, if we're just texting, like I could be like, Hey, how are you? I haven't talked to you. No, I hope all is well, but you're opening up like the, the, <laughs> you could be talking about anything, right. It can go any different direction. Whereas with social media, if you have someone you're following who talks, you know, they post this on their stories, they're walking their dog say, Oh my God, like your dog is so cute. I haven't seen her in so long. Or like, I'm so glad you're sharing whatever it is. And just like authentically say like, how are you doing? What's going on? So it already gives you that, like, I don't know, that that way of starting the conversation so that you don't have to worry about starting in the first place because you already have something there. So, and that's the beauty of having a feed. Like I, what I used to do as a consumer was I used to just follow random people who I thought were interesting or celebrities or, you know, quotes, people who posted quotes that I liked. And now it's shifting to people who inspire me, people who provide content that makes me feel good or we have something in common. Like I run, so I'll follow people who run too. Like you find commonalities, which is much easier to then build a relationship on versus like my friends from high school who I like love and still stay in contact with, but we've gone so many different directions. Like it's very difficult for us to get back to a place of like, this is what we have in common now because one person is a nurse. One person does social work. I was a teacher and now I'm doing business. Like we've traveled all over the world. It's, it's hard to bring it all together, but if you have that commonality, obviously- makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, it makes it a bit more transparent as well because if you don't see people for a while and there's no social media, you've no idea what they've been up to. I mean, obviously, exactly. you, you want to, you know, with really close friends, you might have conversations every now and, the fo- every now and then on the phone and so on. And I, I really like what you're saying about finding the commonalities and, and this is true. So I, you all know this about me, but I did a bit of door-to- door-to-door sales stuff when I was first in Australia. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. I've I've done a few different random sales things. And so you get really good at noticing something to talk about. So yep. I didn't I didn't do this intentionally earlier, but I commented on your background. I said, Oh, that's very cool. And you know, I could have pointed at, you know, the the bookcase, the you know, virtual bookcase and all that sort of stuff. And I was aware it was a virtual background, right? Um but that happens in real life as well. So I was going door to door and there was one in particular that really stood out for me and was really successful as well. So I walked up to this guy's drive, and this is Australia, sort of in the suburbs, quite big houses. I mean, it's probably similar to America, suburbia. Um, and so it's kind of intimidating walking down somebody's drive. They could probably hear you crunching along with the gravel, all that stuff. Um, and I was walking down this guy's drive, and I'm always looking for something to talk about, not 
I don't want to just go, oh, how are you doing? Like, that, that's yeah. fine. And they'll just, they've already got a candid response for that. They're expecting it. How are you? I'm fine. Like, what do you want? <laughs> but if you go, oh, I just saw, you know, you got a great dog there or whatever. But anyway, one particular one was I was walking down the drive and they had a van that said uh, Melbourne Climbing School. And I went up to him and said, oh, climbing, I see you got a climbing school. And, you know, at this point, he probably thinks I'm a salesman anyway, because who am I just randomly talk, turning up anyway? Uh, and he says, oh, yeah. And I said, oh, that's really cool. I've been looking to learn more about climbing and everything. And I was like, can you tell me about that in a second? Because I, I have to tell you about this first. And so I told him about this energy deal thing, you know, uh, asking uh, how much do you pay for this? And, you know, I can just check it for you, see if it's you know, cheaper, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I said, oh, great. So we, we, he then bought from me and I bought from him. <laughs> so we then talked about climbing. He went climbing outside and all this stuff. And I actually went with him, really nice guy. And I mean, I'm not saying you have to buy off somebody else for them to buy off you, obviously, but it was just that common ground really gave us the rapport. And he actually trusted me to buy off me as well, even, even without knowing me really, um, yeah. which was really cool. And you just get really good at that. And it could be anything. And you don't even have to see it. In I mean, a lot of things on that online are, you know, you can see people, but even in turn of voice or what's happening in the background, you hear like a dog bark, you go, oh, you got a dog. What breed is it? And they'll just talk about it and be mm -hmm. happy about it. It's There's always commonalities that you can find. And it's just an easy way to talk to people, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. And again, like, for me, from my perspective as a business owner, like, and from a marketing perspective, I always think now, like, what is it this person wants me to ask them to them open up the floodgates about something they're interested in too? Because like, if you think about it, we love to talk about ourselves. We're human. We love to share, showcase our ideas, like our skill sets, like what drives us and what makes us excited. But if you're not asking the right questions or not asking any question at all, there's no, you're not even giving the, the, the you're not even allowing the conversation or the commonality to happen. So it's the same thing with social media. If you're just liking something, there's no relationship. But if you say, you know, whatever it is, oh, I really like this. Then you open up the floodgates and all of a sudden that person can become your best friend because you have, you know, you took the time to ask a question. Really, that's what it is. Yeah, noticing asking questions. And there's an interesting balance because I met somebody recently. I went on a, you might have heard of meetup, meetup.com. And there, there's just random groups that do stuff you know might be walking you might be just going to the pub whatever and so i'm sort of new to an area i'm living in at the moment and so i went to one of these and i met this person who was very interested but it felt like an interview so there's there's a balance to be yeah. had. so there's the asking questions and then there's the contribution as well because it can i suppose you might be interested and you'd be like oh so you do this oh why do you do that oh blah blah, blah. and you just keep asking questions it feels like an interrogation so there's also mm -hmm. got to be a bit of contribution and uh what i mean by that is saying oh you, you got a dog I've, oh yeah i really love dogs i've got I had a german shepherd for years and, and all this stuff and so there's something for them to comment on as well so you know in this conversation i'm not just going to ask you questions continuously because there's nothing for you to build on and it'll feel like an interrogation that might yeah. be i'm also not a news anchor or whatever like <laughs> it's meant to feel <laughs> like a conversation so you know what yeah I mean? um so i think that's that's really interesting so i want to go back to talking about authenticity versus being salesy as well and this this is something that i think you build over time potentially and you realize who you are and but that's also scary to people to reveal who they are but like you said mm -hmm. i think that sort of allows you to get closer to people what, what is it how can people find what is really them and how can they present that in a way that helps them, you know, whether that's building an online following or business or, or whatever. It's just practicing vulnerability. That's what it comes down to. Because the reason why people love certain people, like if you think of, okay, the, the superstar Cardi B, like, again, like everyone knows who she is. She's loud. She curses. She doesn't care. She makes weird like gestures, like whatever it is. Like we all find her entertaining and somewhat like her because she's like, she doesn't care. She's just going to like be who she is. If that's wacky or whatever it is. And that's the same thing with a lot of these other celebrities or people like Joe Rogan, like people who are really crushing it. They're not bogged down by like acting like someone else. They are just themselves and they express themselves in a way that's a super vulnerable. But the way to do that and find out who you are is just experimentation. Because for me, for a really long time with being in corporate, I felt like I was myself. And in some ways I was, but I was really buttoned up and was felt like I had to act and be a certain way because I had to be at a desk job. And right. When someone pays you, you have to basically act 
and dress accordingly because they're paying you. That's the trade-off, right? You have to do what I want and I'll pay you for it. So if that means you're wearing a suit, like you're going to wear a suit. For me, once I left corporate and started playing with this vulnerability in the way of like making stupid TikToks, like I don't wear really a lot of makeup now. Like there are hurdles that come with that, right? Being really awkward in front of the camera, maybe not 100% liking what I looked like first thing in the mirror when I first started taking the makeup off. But again, little by little, every single day experimenting, I tried pole dancing, like I did hot yoga. Like, I mean, those are, they're not extreme things, but they're like little things every day, painting to see what starts to feel good. And then when you express that, people are like, oh, I like that too. Or they can pick up very quickly that they're being vulnerable and they're trying versus the person who's perfect. Because again, they're going to people who, they're going to be people who like the perfect thing because they're more about like the, facade. But then there's a good amount of people who are like, I just want it straight. I want the person real. I don't care if it's, if it doesn't look good, if she's whatever it is. And so they'll be able to pick up on that. So that's the only thing you have to determine about of the two, which direction you want to go in, but practicing vulnerability and experimenting is how you determine authenticity, which leads to trust, which leads to super fans, which leads to sales. Mm, yeah. Trust. True. I was listening to a podcast. So this is basically the beginning of every sentence i talk to anyone about because I listen to loads of podcasts. So I was listening to podcasts. <laughs> uh, and uh, Russell Brand and J- Jordan Belfort, um, might be saying oh, his yeah. name, Wolf of Wall Wolf, Street. Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. Yeah, and he's very entertaining, got a great accent as well. And so he's, yeah. I wrote this down as well because I thought this was interesting. So people will buy from you if they trust you. You've got a good yep. product or service and they trust your company. And trusting you and the company could be the same thing or something different as well. And if you don't have any of those, then you're not going to sell anything if that's your goal. And I suppose in the end, that's most people's goal. Uh, even like I work in engineering, you still have to sell that to somebody. You know, mm-hmm. people don't accidentally find that you do engineering and then go, oh, right, well, you can do this for me. That's quite unlikely. It's a very competitive market. There's big companies and all that sort of stuff. So they've got to know these things. So they've got to, I mean, to to trust you to have a great product and everything else, you've got to know it exists. And that's where marketing comes in. And it's such a, people can feel awkward about marketing and sales. But in reality, you can, you can flip that and think, okay, so I'm providing value. I want people to get this value from me. And this is how I can most effectively give that to them, you know, and uh, it's that sort of process of going through those steps as well. Um, So with the vulnerability, that's something people, I mean, everyone's heard, you know, Facebook, Instagram, all those things. It's like a highlights reel for a lot of people. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's part of the reason why people, you know, if they spend more time, I think there's a link between spending more time on social media and feeling more depressed or more alone or isolated and i think that's part of the reason of it you just you see those peak moments from everyone's lives and then you compare yours probably sat i mean in the reality if you're on instagram you're probably not with your mates or engaged with people around you not i'm not demonizing all these things by the way they're they're great for certain things of course Mm -hmm. um but it's not in those peak moments where you're on instagram it's in those peak moments where you're with the people around you uh and sometimes people will manufacture and capture all that stuff as well so Go back to the vulnerability and social media and all these things as well. Can you give any examples of where you've done this and where it felt awkward or maybe if you feel comfortable doing that and um, just how that kind of went or whatever? Yeah, that's, um, let me just tell you, it is extremely awkward in the beginning, no matter what, like it's, it's extremely awkward to put myself out there. Like I went for a while, I never posted anything on social media. And then all of a sudden, like, I was like, hello, I have a podcast. Like I'm going to be on every single day. So like, the good thing though, is that you, you have a choice in what you put out there, but you also have a choice of like what and who you subscribe to. So if there are things on there that are making you feel crappy, don't follow them. Like you don't have to look at them things, you know, look at things that make you feel good. People who are encouraging people who inspire you, like maybe it's your friends. That's cool. But there's actually, there's mute features on, on Instagram. You can mute people without unfollowing them. So you don't see what they're doing and they can't see what you're doing if you feel awkward, but yeah. In the beginning it was, it was really uncomfortable and I wasn't really sure how to do the interactions with people, but you just learn. Like when I first started having those engaging conversations, it felt very inauthentic. I felt salesy. It felt calculated. It felt kind of just weird. But now after two months of doing it and practicing and practicing and find out like what it is, I'm really trying to hone in on what would I want? What would someone want to ask me? Like what would excite me if someone asked me about it and then doing the same thing towards them? Um, make it just 
it started falling together. And again, I know that's kind of general and I keep saying experimentation, but that's really what it is. It's getting over the idea that if you try something new, yeah, it's scary, but you're not going to die. <laughs> you're not going to lose your family. You're not going to like it's. It, and if you do, then great. Then maybe they shouldn't be there, honestly. Yeah, you got to take risks. And uh, the unfollowing and muting and stuff. I've done this before. So I had a, an account when I was traveling and I was uh, <laughs> known as Backpacker Luke to my close friends. And uh, so I had a website. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> and, <laughs> just what I wanted to hear. Uh, anyway, so I was... <laughs> Yeah, so I had uh, Instagram, and so I was taking pictures, and I like taking pictures and posting them on there, and I was definitely looking for some level of approval, but on the website and the blog, I was trying to write, well, I was writing authentically, and for me, that was when you know, I had a shift in my perspective or whatever, and you know, that's similar to, to these conversations in a way, that this is a way of me getting that quicker in a way, if you like, you know, you're getting people who've got different backgrounds and perspectives and talking to them. Mm-hmm. Um and it was true. Like I, w- I did, I posted some pretty deep things about you know one of my colleagues dying. He was I worked with this guy before I went went traveling, and we were never that close. And actually, we had a lot of conflict in the job because he was very straight up. And I say conflict, you know, he's just straight up. If you thought if something was rubbish, he'd tell you. And I was not that comfortable getting the straight feedback, but you know, you learn from these people. And with him, before we left, he he sort of said, "Oh." You know, I'm sorry if I was harsh on you and things. And I was like, oh, absolutely no problem. He says, oh, you know, best of luck with traveling. And he's really genuine, really nice. And then I went traveling and I got a message, an email from one of my old colleagues saying he died and he had a heart attack. And he was this really switched on guy. And, you know, I could tell that he was genuinely nice. He was just frustrated, you know, with the work and maybe just the system around him. I don't know. But, you know, I was closer to him when I left. But there's, you know, you got this this person who's... You know, he's in his 50s and he's not, he doesn't look like tip top shape. You just think, oh, he's going to be here. You don't think about him dying and then he's dead and you're like, oh God, you know, you got to make the most of what's, what's happening now. You got to make the most of every moment. And that was basically the yeah. the message of, of that post. And, you know, it, I think it's just important, like you say, just to be authentic, put, put it out there. And I remember I did actually, I did a blog or I started a blog years and years before that. Well, years and years, like seven, eight years before that. And that was wow. just. I, I, and that wasn't, uh, I didn't keep that up because I, I did one post and I showed my mates and they, I, I heard them taking the piss or whatever. And, you know, there's always going to be some people <laughs> that, that don't like it. And, I mean, you got to find cheerleaders as well, haven't you? you got to have people who are on your side. And I didn't have that at that point and I was quite worried about what other people thought of me. But, you know, you, you just got to keep doing it. It's practice, isn't it? Not everything's going to work. And I think with, with businesses and endeavours that you're starting, whatever that is, you know, if you're starting a new sport, you're not going to be that good initially and everyone around you is going to feel much better. Like I went to play Ultimate Frisbee the other day. I've not played for a couple of years. These people are all like five, ten years younger than me. But I've played before. I'm not great. And these guys, some of them are playing at the national level. And you'll yeah. have that similar sort of thing in your real life as well. There's going to be people that have been doing this for years and years are really good, really sharp. And you'll feel inferior. But that's not... you got to remind yourself they're people to learn from as well. So I went to this mm-hmm. Frisbee thing. I was dead, you know... It's, really tired like the next couple of days um but i learned something and i felt exhilarated by trying it too so there's going to be those ups and downs and it's just i suppose it's a way of framing it isn't it and how that feels to you yeah and that's why i love journaling too um it's not necessarily like blogging it's that's the world but i can at least go back and reflect and say like okay I feel like I haven't made any progress, but like if I look back and actually read entries, like, well, I have, I have made a lot of progress, but it also goes to say with what you mentioned before about like living, like it's your last day, like you have such limited time on this earth. You don't know when you're going to leave. It's the same thing with sitting in a corporate job for 40 years, mulling over the idea of doing something different. Like you're going to waste your entire life acting like someone else, not being like yourself, like being, feeling like you're stuck somewhere, like, you know, all those things. And so the journaling, like reflecting, and then also being in the place of like, I'm afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway. And practice being vulnerable makes life so much more enjoyable so that you feel like you got the most out of it versus being on your deathbed or God forbid you die sooner than what you had hoped or thought of. And then you didn't do half of what you wanted to do. Like that seems to me more upsetting than like playing it safe, like playing it safe kind of sucks. (laughs) It's not fun. Yeah, definitely. So you talked about journaling. You mentioned that a couple of times, actually. I was just wondering, what's your process for journaling 
And is it, you know, how regularly do you do it? What kind of questions do you ask yourself? Yeah, I actually started journaling maybe in 2015, 2016. So at this point, it's been, it's been like six years. And I originally started doing it because I was young. I had a lot of thoughts in my head. I couldn't tell my friends anymore, like all the stuff that was going on. So I was like, let me try stream of conscious writing to like get the thoughts out. Like get, I don't want anyone to hear this, but I need, it needs, I need to vent in some way. So it started where I was just like mass writing, whatever it is. Now it's a little more structured. I still do it on a daily basis to kind of get the, the thoughts out. Either that's a morning ritual, sometimes it's a night myth ritual, but I don't beat myself up if I miss it. Um, but I almost do it every single day. And it's just kind of getting the ideas out of your head because our brains are not meant to act like computers. We're not computers. We only have limited capacity. And if your brain is like clogged up with so much gunk and bad thoughts and like worries and all that stuff, or even good thoughts, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna, you're gonna run into issues where like you, you, you can't write or you have like writer's block, right? You can't thoroughly think of ideas. You can't download more ideas because there's not enough room. So if I journal, I release all of that. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is I like to write goals in it. And so that goes back with the reflecting of like, I do goals in it every single month. I'll do like goals for the next month. And then I'll do like tweaking my five-year, 10-year plans, whatever it is. And so it's cool then because like once that month is over, I'll go back to the previous months and like check off boxes to say like, okay, I did this or like there's part of this that's done. Like again, and that goes back to the reflecting, like I said before of like, I may not feel like I made a lot of progress, but when I flip back, I can see it and say like, okay, I don't know the next step, but it's coming and I will get there because I have proof now. I have solid proof that in my life, there has been some sort of progression over time. Yeah, I think people need to feel like they're growing in some way. You don't have to be growing in every dimension in your life, but uh, if yeah. you're getting fitter or you're earning more or whatever it is, there's got to be some sense of growth. And I suppose a lot of it's going to be emotional, actually, is uh, how you feel about yourself and confidence and the skills you've got. Um, not necessarily the external measures of success, because those aren't necessarily up to you. You know, How much do you mm-hmm. earn is not necessarily directly linked to your skills. But if you know yeah. you've got a lot of skills and you've gained a lot, then that's an investment in yourself that you can be 100% happy with over time anyway. Um, and the stream of consciousness, I heard something about this recently, probably on a podcast, um, where the reason, <laughs> <laughs> the reason for it being useful is because it's effectively t- telling a story and you're disassociating yourself from it. So instead of it just being, you know, you're always thinking I, aren't you, in your head? When yeah. you start writing it down, you might be writing I as well, but it does put, there's a character then, you know, you're feeling like this and you're writing this down. It changes it. And and I thought that's quite interesting to hear. It's probably Tim Ferriss, you know, sort of, that sort of thing you'd say. You mentioned as well doing goals and also five, 10 year plans. Uh, five, 10 year plans. I, I am not planning that far ahead. What kind of stuff do I you write I usually don't either. <laughs> It's, it's, they're really general. Um, I'm trying to get better about creating five or 10 year plans. And the reason why I haven't done it and I discovered is because I am, I don't want to say I'm afraid of commitment because I'm not in like my relationships and in my work, but like, because I, I, I'm very good at once I make a goal and I set a, I set a goal, like I can kind of make, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to get there because I, I see the path. I, I see the end goal. I'll, I'll get there. So when I have a five or 10 year goal that that's far out, it makes me nervous that like, that is the one way and the only way. What if I change my mind? What if circumstances change? But that's not the case. I just, that's why I do it every month. I'll retweak to to try to formulate a better five to 10 year ideal. Because last year, two years ago, my five to 10 year ideal was I was going to work in corporate until I became a mom and then took maternity leave. And maybe at that point, then I'd be a, you know, haven't be an entrepreneur or something. Yeah, no, it, it went from five years to, to, to literally a year. So, right, things change. But for me, my five or 10-year goals are more around, like, I want to be a wife. I want to have a child. Like, I want to be able to travel more, have more flexibility in the way of my finances, um, the decisions I make on my day-to-day basis. I want to be in the sun. Like, I live in New York, which is great, but there are sunnier places in the United States that are warmer, a lot easier on the bones and on the body. Um, it'd be cool if I was a millionaire one day. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm sure one day it'll happen. Um, I wanted to do a podcast. I thought that was going to be five years down the line. Turned out it was this year. Like, it's funny how that happens too. When you set long-term goals, you're like almost like giving a, like a signal, like, okay, this is what I want, 
find me, find me opportunities to make it happen. And they just end up falling into place. So yeah, that's like the five or 10 years. They're very, they're very, I don't want to say generalized, but they are. But I try to go from a place of like, I'm excited about this versus like, I'm stuck with this. Cause it's not like that. Mm, yeah. And uh, so there's a lot of, I wouldn't say material things, but there's also lifestyle things you've got in there as well. So where do you want yeah. to be? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's also something that can be quite useful and that determines what activities you do, who you spend time with, what courses you do, whatever it is. It, and I quite like the question of who do I want to be? Um, and mm-hmm. so this is like painting that vision of yourself in the future. And it doesn't have to be five, 10 years. It can be one year, you know, it could be six months. Um, and I suppose it's quite useful sometimes to break down the longer term goals into short term things and daily actions as well. Um, and so the, who do you want to be? It's like, how do I want to be with others? Like, do I want to be caring, yeah. compassionate? And if so, what do I need to do? You know, that's quite broad. How do I make myself yeah. more caring and compassionate? So an example for me is I do volunteering each week and that is talking to people online who've got issues, the, the young people. And that for me is practice in being non-judgmental and non-reactive and mm-hmm. not giving advice because <laughs> we all like to give advice. So for me, that was it is oh, still yeah. a practice. And I'm actually, you know, if someone's telling me something, I don't have to get straight in there and give them a solution. And a lot of people get a problem and they go, oh, why do you do this? And people just, sometimes just want to be heard as well. So if you just go, oh, you totally. know, that sounds really that sounds really difficult, or you're going through a tough situation, you know, that that never goes wrong, you know, unless they've told you something really good's happened, and then you say, oh, that sounds like a difficult situation. <laughs> I mean, obviously yeah. you're not going to do that. So it, that for me, I, I I wanted to do it for the impact of helping young people, but I also realised it'd be really useful for me to do that, so I could gain this skill and it's become automatic now which is really great so you know that's just one example of a action that i took a year ago over a year ago which i'm continuing now and has now become a natural part of me and without revisiting that or reflecting on that you know you might just not notice because you're always looking Mm -hmm. for that next thing so it is really important to reflect i think like you were talking about as well yeah you've you know fairly recently gone into the online world or you know online business and starting your own business as well and i wonder if you had any tips for people who are potentially going in that direction and want to grow their business and we've talked about things like authenticity social media all that sort of stuff are there any other things that come to mind when it comes to online business that you could tell people about i would help for me is in the beginning, I was really afraid and, and felt really vulnerable to share with the world that I was like leaving corporate and like had this idea to build a business and whatever else. So I have made a separate Instagram account that I thought at the time is going to be kind of what my business was going to be about. And I just started posting and experimenting and trying to figure out like, okay, what is my niche? Like, how how can I make this work? Whatever it is. And right, because you're not really telling, like you're not ex- exclusively telling it to the world, you know, um, it makes it a little less scary. Eventually I've now made the transition over where like my personal page has now become a business page and people who I went to school with, you know, my neighbors, like people know what I'm doing because if I went over that hunch, but when I started, I had just an Instagram page that no one knew about website, no one knew about anything like that. And started just experimenting with colors and, and ideas and thoughts and whatever it is. And also Another thing that helped me too, is I straight up just asked people around me, like, what is it that you're looking for? You know, what is it that you need help with that I might be able to help you with? Or like, what is something that I'm really good at doing? That's my secret sauce or whatever it is. And so people would just give me feedback of like, you're good at this, not so good at that. Like you can improve on this. This is something I'm looking for. I don't know if you could be the person, but maybe you have a component of it. Like they, they gave a lot of perspective. And then, um, between those two things, I think they're really helped. And then there is, I forget what the website name is, but I think there's a website that actually, um, it's like a database that stores all of the most frequently asked questions that people are looking for answers for. Um, don't uh, remember the name Quora? of it. There's a different one. There's a different uh, one, but it's along the same lines of like, yeah, right. You can just peel through all the layers of the questions that people are looking to find. And then, you know, it helps you to kind of say, okay, can I be the person, the solution provider? Can I be the person to solve that problem? Do I have that skill set or do I have the curiosity enough through experimentation to see if this could work? Right. Cause it goes back to experimentation. I, I started with plants. I thought I was going to be a person who was like 
going to help people with plants. And then it went from that to like, oh, I want to help people with organization. Then it went from organization to I want to be self-help. Then it was the adulting manual. And now it's corporate footer. So it like it went from different color schemes to different messaging to completely different businesses. But I wouldn't know if I hadn't experimented. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting way of looking at it, finding the questions people are asking online as well, because obviously that's uh, almost an aggregator or something. Um, yeah, I think, so what I'm thinking of in my brain is called Stack Overflow, and that, I think that's more specifically geared towards programming. But there's a, I know what you mean, Is there's like a, there's an, there's an actual website which sort of ranks all these questions and all the answers and how good they are and stuff. And yep. Quora definitely is one of them. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but there's another yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's really really smart actually. Asking what you're good at. I did that once online. Well, maybe more than once because I was trying to find out where what direction I should go in and things. And mm-hmm. you get you can get some surprising feedback. It, it can be really eye opening as well because we all have the the blind spots uh, that we don't know that are good and bad. Like, yeah. Were any? Did you get any feedback? You be like, oh, I didn't realize I was good at that. Someone told me I was a really good executioner, which to me felt like. I don't know. I, I procrastinate a lot. Like I, I'll wait till last minute to do things like, so for someone to say that to me, it was kind of eye opening to like, be like, okay, even if I don't plan it well in advance, cause I'm not the best planner, like I'm still going to get it done. It might be really stressful. And I do it like literally an hour before I do it, but I still get it done. And so for, you know, it, it was really nice to hear that someone was like, oh, you, you do what you need to do. And that's it. Like you can still, when you say you're going to do something, you do it. Yeah, no, that's nice. Yeah. There's always things that you don't know about yourself that you're good at. That's for sure. I think we've probably talked about this already. So talking about finding purpose, you know, what you get out, what you love, what the world needs. Um, Are there any other things, and you talked about values as well, are there any other things around the purpose side of things that I can people find their purpose or, or do you think we've kind of covered that? More on purpose. I would say, Maybe this goes back even before you dive into business and kind of like even looking over your resume and whatever else. I mean, that could help. But I found for a really long time, I was really confused about my purpose because I was doing things that people wanted me to do, not what I wanted to do myself. And so because there's a very fine line between the shoulds of life, the obligation, the, you know, it's kind of like people say, oh, you should get married and have kids. But now we're in this stage of like people like millennials are kind of like, and even Gen Z, they're kind of like, no, I don't want that. Or not everyone, but like, there's this, people are voicing their opinions of like, I want to do something different. Same with the workforce. People don't necessarily want to do the nine to five. So once you get really clear on what it is you do and don't like, like truly not what you think your mom is going to be proud of you for, not what your girlfriend or, or you know, partner think is cool. And you just say, no, I really like this because it makes me feel good. Or like, this is how i authentically feel like I'm expressing myself, then you'll be like taking a huge step forward, like finding your true purpose. Yeah, that's great. Okay. And uh, this is a question I've stolen off Tim Ferriss as well. Um, But I think it's quite (laughs) a good one. Sometimes it doesn't always work out, but uh, and that's kind of what he says as well. So um, if, if you had any message that you could stick on a billboard that could be shown to the world metaphorically, and I suppose it could be similar to uh, social media in some ways, but is there a message you would tell people? Maybe it's, you know, advice or just a, a phrase or a quote that you really like? Anything pop to mind? Um, yeah, I'm blanking on it, of course, actually. <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's by an I think I pronounced her name Anasnin. And um, she was a poet. And one of the things she talks about is that like the amount of courage you put into this world is kind of what you'll get out of it. Like the success, the rewards are equivalent to the amount of courage that you act on and the risk you take. Like you cannot, it's like the phrase too, like nothing changes if nothing changes. If you keep doing the same exact thing, don't expect to make more money, lose the weight and find the perfect partner. Like you need to do things that are extremely uncomfortable. You need to embrace being courageous in order to find the the success because that's where it lies is, is, you know, outside of the uncomfortability. It's, it's when you're in that, when you're in the weeds, that's where it happens. That's where the magic happens. And that's where, you know, all the potential is. Right, definitely. And uh, just for as well, books. You've probably read some books whilst going through all these transitions as well. Are there any that you've found particularly useful or that you recommend to other people? Definitely. So it is based off of Tim Tim Harris, um, Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Work Week. There is a book called Virtual Freedom. I think it's by Chris Ducker, and it's essentially about um, 
stemming off the idea of Tim Ferriss saying you can work a four-hour work week, but when most people think, well, like, how could I do that? It's by leveraging virtual staff. And that could be people based in the US, based in another country. Like it could be a lot of money, little money, but the whole idea, especially for us millennials and Gen Zs who are looking for a life that's more fulfilling, one that doesn't really like require unnecessary, the mundane things, if you will, is that if you utilize virtual staff, basically you can get your life back. You just set up all these automated processes and whatnot to basically generate money on your own. And you, the business owner, you, the person just basically focus on the things that either make you money, excite you, or make you just like, you know, want to get out of bed and actually live your life. Yeah. So that, that book has been wildly helpful because it, I would probably spend hours and hours at editing my own audio for my podcast, working on stupid admin related things like bookkeeping if I didn't hire staff. And that takes away from me interviewing people, doing one-on-ones, like, and honestly, even enjoying my personal life, because the whole reason I left corporate was to enjoy my life more. So if I'm, you know, in the hustle and bustle every single day, stressed out in my own job, in my own business, what's the point of transitioning in the first place? You know? Completely, yeah, completely agree. Uh, so is virtual, what was the name of it again? Virtual Freedom. Virtual Freedom. That's a good name. And I have to say, I've done the same kind of thing because I started this podcast as well. And uh, I was doing it all myself to start with. And I wanted to gain the skills so I knew what good looked like as well. Mm-hmm. So with the audio editing, I looked online, found videos, how to do it. And, and this, you know, this might have been at a time where I had a bit more spare time as well. So I learned how to do it, did some editing and so on. And I just found that, you know, spending half of my spare time editing podcasts, doing all the other stuff around it as well. Uh, so I decided to also get somebody else to edit it as well. And that's worked out really well. It's probably given me you know, quite a few hours back of my week and it's well worth it. Yeah. So you, and it you it's think- so yeah. worth it. Like I, so it's funny because one of the things like obviously with being a business owner, like I have limited funds, like there's a limited budget. I'm not rolling in the cheddar just yet. So I actually did the exchange of like, I put all the money that I would have poured towards like going out and drinking towards that. And I have found that from my limiting alcohol and like doing these things that are not contributing to my business, but putting in towards that, I've reaped the benefits of yes, gaining back more time, but also making more progress in my business because I'm allocating time elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it, it can be easy and you can spin your wheels doing the pointless stuff. So I'm not saying audio editing is pointless, but it might not be your core, core skill or mine. I thought, you know, somebody else can go through that and they can pick out as well, having a second pair of ears to go, oh, what were the interesting topics? Where where would you put timestamps in and all that stuff? If I listened back to it, I don't want to listen to myself again for like an hour. Yeah. Oh my God, no. <laughs> it's it's terrible. It's so, and then you, you finish, you know, you listen to it again when it's like live. So it's like three times you're listening to yourself for the same exact thing. Like, you only have so much time in the day. I would, I, yeah. you can always make more money. Like I'd rather have the time. I completely agree on that one. Virtual freedom. That's, that's a good one. Thank you for that. And, uh, this one I haven't heard asked before, but it's similar vein as well, I suppose, which is to books. I mean, it's quite a lot of online courses and things like that, or maybe even people that you follow that are really interesting, give you a lot of value. Uh, so any courses or people you follow that, you know, recommend to other people. Yeah. From an engagement perspective, like social media stuff, Donna B. DeCenso, D-I-C-E-N-S-O. She is, I love her to death. She's so authentic. She's so silly. I, she has so much value. Like she is a rock star. Um, I also love, there's this woman, her handle on Instagram is the launch babe. Um, she is straight to the point. She's entertaining. She does like silly reels. I love her too. Um, she's, She's really, really great. Um, those are the top two that I would say right now who I've been like stalking and like saving all their posts and stuff for like my own business stuff because they're making me better, better marketers and making me embrace my own authenticity and vulnerability better. Fantastic. Yeah, you got to have those role, role models, whether they're virtual or in person, I think. And uh, saving those examples is a great way of sort of embedding what you want to well, what you think is great and what you can potentially do more of as well. It's, it's fine yeah. to borrow ideas from other people. No one's done anything that's truly, well, there's always elements of originality, but it's a lot of uh, repurposing ideas and things in your own unique way. And you don't have to be the best at anything to for people to help other people. I mean, you can give value yeah. just by being yourself and presenting that information. Some people will find that really interesting and really valuable. So going to socials and so on, how can people follow you and find out more about you? 
Yeah. So they can follow me on Instagram. It's at she likes to gab, which is perfect because I talk a lot on my podcast. Um, there's also my website, corporatequitter.com. You'll also find the link to the podcast on there too. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, work with me, that's how you can basically get connected as well. Fantastic. Okay. Well, today has been really great fun. I've had a great conversation with you and really got a lot of value as well. Made a good few pages of notes here as well. <laughs> um, I might be getting that free virtual freedom book as well. That sounds really Let interesting. Let me tell you, highly <laughs> recommend. I've re- referred it to about three or four other people and they've said it's changed the way that they do business. So I highly recommend. I'll have a look. Cool. All right. Yeah. Well, f- thanks again for coming on today and I uh, wish you the best of luck with everything you're doing as well. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Tipping Points. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, subscribe, like, and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast player. Doing this really helps us to keep providing free content to you. If you want to find out more, get more episodes and exclusive content, please head over to tippingpointspodcast.com. If you've got some insights today, like the way I ask questions and want to take your journey to another level, then Mindful Productivity Coaching is for you. At Mindful Productivity, we take a holistic approach to make you happier, healthier, and more productive. Our coaching program is tailored to your needs so you get what you want from it. Find out more at mindfulproductivity.net forward slash coaching and book your free discovery call today. That's mindfulproductivity.net forward slash coaching for your free discovery call.